When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Christmas week and man, Christmas did not come early for the Colts because they have to play on Christmas. So we're already going to be opening up those presents. We're going to watch some presents being gifted to Colts Nation on Saturday night. But we got to talk about this other Saturday night game, guys. How are y'all doing, man? After Saturday, what a night, what a game. I know all of y'all got drunk because it was Saturday. Was well, it Sunday? Not going to do that on the Lord's Day. So Probably went to church a little hungover, probably, you know, went crazy. Maybe. I don't know. I was probably going to do it, but I really I didn't have no crown in my fridge. So I'm like, damn, how could this be? But we do have a great show for you guys today. What a night it was. But I am Michael Tarazas, as always. This is the official Colts podcast of Fan Sided. And joined by me is our lead writer of the Blue Stable, Lucas Robbins. Man, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How about you, Michael? I'm doing good, man. I'm digging the beard. I'm digging the the Santa hat. I'm I'm digging all that, man. Especially the stainless steel Colts cup. It looks like so. Got got to show it off. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> but man, yeah, I'm uh, throwing out the beard for the playoffs, man. This is the Colts playoff beard. The Colts playoff Robbins. beard. There you go, it, from Lucas Robbins. Until we are eliminated from this season, I won't be shaving. I won't. So, hey, Uh, what are you drinking? What are you drinking during the show? Let's just say water. All right. Let's say water H2O. I'm drinking uh, this good Dr. Pepper cream (laughs) soda because I don't drink alcohol. Alcohol is bad kids. Don't drink that ever, uh, especially while you're driving. So, guys, man, what a night it was. The Colts beat the Patriots 27-17. Lucas, man, this was the craziest game. I'm pretty sure the atmosphere in that stadium was ballistic. It was crazy. 
Uh, I have been looking forward to this game ever since we beat the Texans. As soon as that final buzzer went off, I just can't wait for this game. Had to go through a whole week, uh, no football. Had to get, go through another week. And the whole the whole week last week leading up to it, kept thinking about this matchup. Of course, you know, we did the, the show with Rashad and uh, talked about it, gave our predictions. I predicted 27-17. It was correct. Uh, that was – that's the first prediction I've ever got right, and I'm glad it was on that game. What a night, man. It was all eyes. Anyone who is anyone in the football world watched that game. Not because, oh, my gosh, we want to see the Patriots, but for once in a very long time, a Patriots and Colts game mattered. And... Walk us through, man. I want to hear your thoughts first, man. What, what was your initial thoughts as soon as the final bu- buzzer sounded? All right. Well, I went to the game. All right. I was in attendance. The energy in the entire Lucas Oil Stadium was electric. It was rowdy. And guess what? Greg from Carmel, you missed out on a great, great game selling your season tickets, buddy. Because, oh, man. Golly. I was elated from this game because ding dong, the wicked witch of the West is dead. The evil empire has been toppled. Death to the hoodie. The Colts win against the Patriots in a late, in a December game with playoff implications. And the Patriots, they're coming in with a seven game winning streak. The hottest team in the league number one in DVOA, and the Colts still out-patriot the Patriots. It's not just that we won, and it's not just that we won by two scores. It's because we won using the exact same formula that the Patriots have used to absolutely wallop the Colts in the past, most Mm -hmm. notably in the early 2000s during playoff time. What was the formula? Run the damn ball down the opposing team's throats, get some crazy, crazy turnovers, Uh, make sure you're disciplined, make sure you win the penalty battle. And guess what? We did all of those and made sure that we won that game. I mean, it was very, very fun to watch. And I got to be honest, it made me very, very hyped about our Colts heading forward. I mean, definitely. I'm not going to say we contenders. Not going to say that. But we far closer to contenders than we are to pretenders. Yes, there you go. I mean, look, and you mentioned it, the way the Patriots have just drubbed the Colts. And, you know, we can't forget without mentioning uh, the famous James White game going for 200 yards, uh, I believe two touchdowns. And what an embarrassment that game was. It was on Sunday night football in Indy. And I remember that game as clear. Are you talking about the uh, Jonas Gray game? Wait, was it Jonas Gray? Yeah, it was Jonas Gray, not uh, James White. Like, no-name guy. Damn, it was. And kicks our butt. I know it was a guy with a J. Let's just say that. That's how. Fair enough. That's just crazy. Uh, They're all the same for uh, New England. There you go. (laughs) What a night, man. The whole time, I could not. As soon as Saturday hit, I don't know what to do. I'm literally thinking of stuff to do around the apartment. I'm just like, okay, how do I stay busy? How do I, 
you know, just take my mind off the game. Just don't even think about the game until you turn that TV on at 710. And, you know, I got on Call of Duty. I played zombies. I actually went pretty far in a live game. And, man, we was going hype. Um, I, I just tried to keep myself busy because I was just done thinking I wanted to sit down and watch what a game it was, guys. Y'all know how it is, man. We go with the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to get into it all for you here, guys. It was a great night, but we came away with some pretty interesting opinions. So let's get it started. Clearly, we got to start with number one, the good, maybe even the great Jonathan Taylor. Look, a lot of people, I already saw it on Twitter early on. Why are we passing? Why is Jonathan Taylor not getting the ball? Because we're not trying to end his season or his career at the age of 26. That's number one. Number two is because everybody knows what we're doing. It's I'm not going to sit there and say we're that team that can beat you when you know what we're going to do because I never want to be that team. I don't want to become the Tennessee Titans. I don't because if you rely on one player and that one player goes down who is a running back of all pieces, you are in some deep trouble. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about what Jonathan Taylor did. I do think he is the MVP of this league. When we're truly sitting down and talking, who is the best player, who is performing at the highest level, who is winning the biggest games, he's doing it. Biggest game of the year, Buffalo. You destroy them. Best run defense. Then you go against Tampa Bay, put on a good showing. Go against Houston, drub them against the Patriots, which going in, a lot of people, I, I, I really don't just, national media guys really got to do a better job because when you really sit down and watch these shows and watch them preview, because you always want to hear national media talk about your team. You know, I listen into First Take or NFL Live or Get Up and all this talk all week, the Patriots are built to stop the run. Where? Where did y'all see that? Because I mentioned it, mentioned it on the show. They are literally the 19th ranked run defense. So where do y'all see that they're built to stop the run? They're not. They didn't stop the run against Dallas. They didn't stop the run against Tampa Bay. They didn't stop. The, they didn't do any of that. So I went in hoping for a good game for Jonathan Taylor. It turned out to be a great game. And, man, Lucas, since you were at the game, the moment, I'm talking about the sheer moment that you saw him jump cut Dante Hightower. Tell me, man, what was that atmosphere like? You know how I was saying how it was electric throughout the game? That was when you could have set off a nuclear bomb in downtown Indianapolis and no one would have noticed or cared because that's how excited, energetic, and just loud the Colts uh, fans were at that moment. It was just insane, okay? Like, I, I did a breakdown on that play, and they had positioning. Dante Hightower... McCordy, they had positioning right in that hole. Two guys, one hole. Sounds like a bad YouTube video. Anyways, Jonathan Taylor, he took advantage of that hole, found a little tiny crease with some great nifty footwork to make them kind of turn their hips a little bit, get a little bit out of position, then 
his insane burst, get skinny, run through an arm tackle, and then it's off to the races for the fastest miles per hour run this season by a ball carrier, 22.13. And he has three of the top five fastest for a ball carrier this season, by the way. But that was number one. And even though it was the fastest one, he looked back. He looked back at J.C. Jackson as he's running. He's he like, stared him down. You think, you think you're going to catch me? Oh, that's cute. Watch this. And then turns on the Jets. Hey, man, J.C. Jackson is, is pretty fast. In the fact that in the fact that Jonathan Taylor outran him, I mean, he ran four three at the combine, so it's not like it's shocking or thing. He ran four three, nearly four two, and he's putting it on display, man. I mean, I don't even think Derrick Henry, you know, those big run, run, runs he did against Seattle early against the Jets, he didn't even reach those big fifty yard, sixty yard runs. He didn't even break twenty miles per hour when they. Uh, what was it when they tested it? He didn't even break 20 miles an hour. I think the highest was like 19.57 or something like that miles per hour. So Jonathan Taylor, I mean, also what about the block that he set up on Dante Hightower when he shot up the middle, Carson Wentz rolled out and hit Zach Pascal right in a window. I mean, the blitz pickup was who's been a better running back. And I'm not, I'm, I'm taking complete bias out of this question. Who has had a better two-run stretch, two-year run stretch than Jonathan Taylor? I mean, you've had some good ones. You've had Le'Veon Bell. You've had Ezekiel Elliott of recently. Saquon, he had a great rookie year, great rookie year. Second year, clearly uh, injuries, offensive line was bad, couldn't really show it off too much. And then Derrick Henry, you know, he didn't get going until like maybe his fourth year in the league. Jonathan Taylor, I mean – you, you got to remember how rough it was the first eight weeks of the 2020 season. He had a hard time. I think he was benched after a fumble and didn't really get going. I think it was after the Lions game that he finally got going. Ever since then, man, he hasn't looked back, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Well, unless you're J.C. Jackson. <laughs> but Jonathan Taylor, he's the MVP. I, I know it's a quarterback's award. He's the MVP. And if he's in the MVP conversation, Cooper Cup is also in the MVP conversation. I mean, Patrick Mahomes started out too bad for me. Uh, you know, it was really bad. I think now he's still, you know, yeah, the flashy plays on uh, Thursday night. But Travis Kelsey really made some magic happen. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, who has. He's probably my one quarterback in the conversation, only because really, I think the highlight of his year so far was going to Arizona minus his top three targets and beating the Arizona Cardinals, giving them, I believe, their first loss of the season when they were red hot. That's his moment of the year. And then Jonathan Taylor, say what you want. Tom Brady, he, he's out of it for me, honestly. I mean, you got shut out on prime time on your home field. Shut out. You didn't score a point. You didn't even kick a field goal. You didn't even get your team in position for a field goal you fumbled the ball that that matters in my opinion Jonathan Taylor you can't say enough about him man the burst I, I've always mentioned it his burst as soon as he hits the hole find me a better one in the league I mean you have some good ones out there you do you got Nick Chubb you got the Saquon Barkley's you got those guys but 
Chris Ballard is a fucking genius, man. He is a damn genius. I I just love Chris Ballard more and more every single day. Uh, before we move on, before we move on, Lucas, did you want to touch any more on uh, Jonathan Taylor? All right. Well, there's only two quarterbacks who I can see winning the award over him right now. I still have Tom Brady. He's got he's got some talent on that. He's got an ability to get there. I mean, he's got 36 touchdowns on the year. He did get shut out, but he's still on pace for around like 43 touchdowns this season. That yeah, that's gonna be hard for guys to dismiss. On he the might reach he might reach 50. I think his closing uh, schedule is Carolina, the Jets, and Carolina. So he yeah, might he's just gonna be in like the mid 40s is a good bet, and that's gonna be hard for voters to say, hey, this guy isn't the MVP just because. Some guys just literally look at the stats. If we're talking about who's been the better quarterback, though, this season, I'd give the edge to Rodgers. But the stats will say, eh, Tom Brady a little bit more. But do I think Jonathan Taylor is going to get some votes? Absolutely. This is a weaker year for quarterback stats than any year since 2017, which was the last time a running back got MVP votes, and that was Todd Gurley. Yep. And Todd Gurley wasn't quite having the year that uh, Jonathan Taylor's been having. Like, some fans, Tennessee, keep on saying if Derrick Henry, for example, didn't win the MVP or even get a single vote after 2,000 yards rushing, then Jonathan Taylor shouldn't get anything as well. One, it's an easier competition this year because last year Aaron Rodgers was scorcher that year he's not even playing at that level this year that's how crazy it is yeah he's doing really really well but But he's he's not not as good as last year he's not as good as last year yeah that was insane so do i think that derrick henry deserved at least some votes last year sure but i wouldn't have voted him i wouldn't have voted him over aaron Rodgers that year aaron Rodgers was a clear-cut favor on that and then the year before it was lamar jackson with his insane 2019 season and then the year before that, it was Patrick Mahomes in his insane 2018 season with over 50 touchdowns. Like, there was not an opportunity for any running back in those three years to get an MVP. Very likely not even getting any MVP votes, and none did. But Jonathan Taylor, right now, his season, his 2021 season, is on pace to be better than Derrick Henry's 2021 or 2020 season because he's going to have over at this rate 100 scrimmage yards more. He's going to have five to six touchdowns more at this rate. And he's doing this on like 20 to 30 less touches for the season. He's being more efficient. And even if this was a 16-game season, he'd only maybe have slightly less total yards and still would have like four or five more touchdowns. Yeah. And have 40 less touches. So he's still being better than Derrick Henry last year. So I think Jonathan Taylor's got an opportunity to make get some MVP votes. I don't know if I'm quite ready to say he's going to outright beat a quarterback to get it. But if he has some insane games down the stretch, like I'm talking he gets over like 25 touchdowns a season and maybe gets really, really close to 2,000 yards rushing on top of his receiving production, it's going to be really, really hard not to vote for him. So 
He's Ooh. got a chance, and that's very big for any running back at this point. So, yep, Justin Taylor, he's a beast. We love him, and we thank him for bringing us one of the greatest moments in Colts versus Patriots history, and that is a list that is hard to top. It he's is hard. Top, but he's up there right there. That is yeah. a damn high praise right there. You know, I can't remember – uh, and I'm pretty sure De- Destin and Rashad are listening to this and they, they know what I'm talking about. We did a sort of like draft, like all time Colts. Who would you take at running back? I took Jonathan Taylor over like Edron, Ed- Edron James. I took him over Eric Dickerson, uh, Joseph Adai, whatever the case may be. And they were like, how in the hell can you take Jonathan Taylor over these guys? Which is true. But again, I don't think Edron James had this burst, in my opinion. I don't think he did. I mean, the stats, of course, different eras, you know, it was different eras, different. I think Edron did have that burst, but he also was limited because of like the rules in place. Like there was a lot more physical defenses back then. Yeah. So there was, there's some rule changes that have been implemented since the edge days in like the late nineties that have really helped RBs, especially be able to get more production. So I, I, I wouldn't put them over edge. And Eric Dickerson and Marshall Falk, at least in their Colts stints, I'd say maybe because they were phenomenal with the Rams. Like their mm-hmm. Rams stints were legendary. Colts ones, they were still really, really good, but the Rams was where they were more. So if we're talking strictly only Colts times, then I could I could see a case for JT over those two, which that's Hall of Fame running backs right there. I mean, regardless. That's still very high praise. Yeah. So, and plus, Edron James – Outside of Marshall Falk with the uh, – once he got into St. Louis, he was one of the best uh, running backs, like receiving out of the backfield that I have ever seen. Yeah. Like he was phenomenal. So it's – I can't quite put him right there just yet, but the fact that he's even in the conversation in year two at age 22, that's high price. You know what's crazy? Before we move on to the next good guys – what I really, really, what I was thinking when I when I kept replaying the play when Taylor broke that sixty-seven yard touchdown, I just kept telling myself, "Man, I really, really wish Akeem Talib and Gus Johnson were on that call because you know how Gus Johnson gets. Like that would take us back to the to the Badger days, like when he would call Wisconsin, Ohio State, when he would call Wisconsin, Nebraska, just." I just get like when I just even thought about Gus Johnson calling that play, just thinking about thinking about it just gave me chills. Like he's the best caller in my opinion. He is. And I don't know if listening to him talk about or listening to him call a game in the NFL in college, I'm not sure if he's asked to tone it down in the NFL or, or, or something because I, he was calling the lions Cardinals game. And I think a lot of us were watching that game and, he was not the regular Gus Johnson. You could still hear some excitement, but I don't know. I guess he just has a bigger love for college football. I don't know, but that's just my wish that Gus Johnson calls a Colts game. Maybe because maybe, they're not really that top team for NFL announcers. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But going on First to the next thing, I really guys. wanted to see a Manning cast in that game. Oh. Like imagine seeing Pate Manning see that run against the Patriots and Eli Manning. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> 
Hey, maybe we maybe we get that uh Monday night playoff game and we get it then. Who who knows? Maybe. Uh we went on for Jonathan Taylor for a little bit, but it, it was definitely warranted. The next group that actually helped him out, the offensive line. And yes, I can add in Eric Fisher in there as well. The the run game, the bye week clearly helped him. I saw a little bit better pass blocking as well. I didn't see too much, and I'm actually surprised. I did not see Bill Belichick attack Eric Fisher with Matthew Judon that much. I didn't. I saw Matthew Judon on Braden Smith's side a lot, and Braden Smith was winning that matchup. I'm like, I'll take it. Easily, I'll take it. The run game, and man, shout out Danny Pinter, man. Shout out Danny Pinter. Um, Real quick, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with Ryan and Emma Kelly uh, today on this show. You know, I can't even think of, I just can't even think of the words to, you know, help that situation. Can't even fathom what they're going through, the pain that they're going through. Uh, that that win was for those guys. That that win was definitely for the Kellys. Uh, and what a job Danny Pinter did. What a job. I mean, what? He was drafted out of Ball State, and he came in weighing, like, what, 265? And now he weighs about 305 pounds. The fact that he's put on muscle in his time in the NFL is just, I love it. It shows how serious he's taking this position, and he knows that, oh, man, my eye is bugging me, but he knows <laughs> how much of an anchor you have to be in the middle of that line and the job that he did on got you, man. Like, and he is a hard nose tackle to move and Danny Pinter moved him like, damn it, Chris Ballard, you fucking genius. Like, man, dude, where does he find these guys? Danny Pinter has done a great job stepping in, um, you know, this next week, if Ryan Kelly chooses to, you know, miss another week or so, have at it, uh, of course, do that. I'll take him against uh, Richard Lawrence. I'll take him against Zach Allen. No, I'll take that. Maybe Jason Peters. He's not the old, um, not uh, Jason Peters, Corey Peters. I'll take that matchup, but the offensive line, man, not going to stay on this too long. What a job they did. Um, bullying, opening run lanes, the whole nine yards. Absolutely. This was a mauling by the Colts offensive line. They were getting so much push against the Patriots. It was insane. I was very excited to see what they were able to do there. The tight ends as well on the outside, they were doing great inline blocking. Marley Cox was yet again a weapon in that wham kind of scheme. Uh, Jack Doyle was having some great blocks on the move as well. And Kylan Granson even was sealing up the edge a few times. That was very, very impressive by the tight ends. Offensive line, of course, phenomenal. Pinter coming in and doing a very, very strong job for Ryan Kelly, who, of course, like you said, our thoughts are to the Kelly family. Uh, they're, they're going through some stuff right now, of course, and the Colts were definitely wearing their heart on their sleeve to play for the Kelly family. So that was very, very special for them. And by the way, you said you were asking, where does Chris Ballard find these guys on the offensive line? In the Hoosier State, baby. I mean, you got Quentin Nelson. Of course, you don't have to look hard to find Quentin Nelson coming out of the draft in 2018. But Danny Pinder, you kind of had to look hard for coming out of the draft in 2020 at Ball State. Chirp, chirp. But, yeah, 
Pinter, he was a collegiate tight end, then moved to tackle. Yeah. And now he's been putting on so much weight, he can put move inside, maybe even shift back outside if need be. Like he's been a very versatile chess piece that we can use. And I'm really excited to see what he can do, possibly in a bigger role in 2022. But yeah. Yeah. I I'm, think I'm excited for what this offensive line has done so far. Definitely. I think off the top of my head, I can't remember who who was the scout that scouted uh, Danny Pinter. I don't think it was Chris Ballard himself. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But when he came, I mean, given his size, we knew he wasn't going to go outside. I mean, he's what, 6'3". I mean, that's somewhat small, 6'3", 6'2". So we knew he was going to play inside, and I immediately thought center. I mean, we, we, have, we still have Joey Hunt. Um, who's a vet. He's played in playoff games. He's played in many games for Seattle and for the Colts last year. So, hey, the more the merrier. He went and traded for Matt Pryor, who is, of course, TCU Horn Frog. You know, got to support those frogs. Uh, he stepped in greatly for Braden Smith, had a great game against Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa, completely clamped them down. And the job that he's doing, man, it's it's second to none right now. I mean, probably the only guy I can put in front of him is uh, the guy from, from Tampa Bay. But other than that, it's hard, man. It's hard. Moving yeah. on here, more fines by Chris Ballard. The linebackers. What a game for Darius Leonard and Bobby Okariki, man. Two interceptions, one to each guy. Darius Leonard also forced another fumble, but they were not able to recover. But the fact that he just forced another one, man, that right hand, that right hand is crazy. I mean, you know, we're, we, we're doing these celebrity boxing matches, man. Why don't we go ahead and put Deontay Wilder and Darius Leonard together? I mean, Darius Leonard might get his ass knocked out, but I, I would still like to see it. I mean, who knows? Uh, what a great game. I think this was possibly their best game together this year. They were active in the run game. The past game, they paid attention to detail. I mean, think about on both of their interceptions. Let's focus on Bobby Okariki first. He's playing the outside, okay? He's playing the outside, and the guy is clearly going outside the numbers. He lays out, and remember, that length. That's what Chris Ballard looks for. That full uh, wingspan. He got the interception, diving for it. And then you go to Darius Leonard. He's playing the middle of the field. We know he gets picked on sometimes. But playing the eyes of Mac Jones, that is one of the better pass coverage plays I've seen from Darius Leonard. He was in his bag on Saturday and not fooling around because he was really about to jump outside. But when he saw Max's eyes go back inside, he cut back. And boom, interception. Honestly, in real time or going back and watching it, I don't even know if it would have been a good play for the Patriots. I think it probably would have been a pass breakup because I think TJ Carey was right there, right there over it. And it probably would have been a little bit behind Hunter Henry. But still, uh, after already putting Jacoby Myers just literally in his coffin early, just stiff armed him through the ground again. I mean, Darius Leonard in these stiff arms, man. How does he do it? I mean, he's using that length, man. It has been phenomenal to watch. I mean, he got Kenny Stills first into the dirt uh, a few years back, and now he just ate Jacoby Myers, putting him again on the turf, 
in Lucas Oil Stadium. Phenomenal. And, of course, you were talking about the interceptions. They were both phenomenal plays on their own. And Bobby Okereke, Darius Leonard had some pretty good games, both in the run and against the pass. Darius Leonard was so close, so close to batting away a touchdown to Hunter Henry right at the end of the game. He was literally fingertips away. It was a good play by Darius Leonard, but an even better throw by Mac Jones. There was not much that he could have done, like outside of maybe take a one more step to the right. Very, very close. But outside of that, he had a phenomenal game in coverage. And also, we can go even further beyond our two starters and talking about these Colts linebackers. Yeah. Because we also had a Colts linebacker get a blocked punt and a different one recover the punt for a touchdown. We're talking Matt Adams. And we're talking EJ Speed. Yes. Speed with his second special teams touchdown of the season. I mean, he's got a chance to possibly get some Pro Bowl votes. Of course, the voting is now over. A little too little too late. But he just had two special teams touchdowns that weren't returned in the same season. That is very, very rare in the NFL. Very, very special for that. Yeah. Uh, but, of course... Matthew Adams made sure that that play was possible as well, getting right into the penetration for the punt, blocking it, making it a boom, 14 to nothing game for the Colts. I mean, that was another aspect, like we were saying. We beat them even in special teams. Yeah. Which was the thing. Bubba so, Ventron, man, what a reaction. I mean, <laughs> the, the recognition Bubba. the Colts are getting this year, it's one of those things where you love it, but at the same time, it's like the league is starting to take notice. You know, Bubba Ventrone is going to get an interview or two for a head coaching gig. He is. Uh, that's just what primetime games, hard knocks, that's what that does for for your team. Uh, along with that comes with Pro Bowl vote, votes. Um, clearly, Jonathan Taylor is leading it. Kenny Moore is getting up there. And it, it's just full circle right now. And And you hit it on the head. EJ Speed, Matthew Adams, even though they're depth linebackers, they are just so they're so what, what instrumental in special teams. That's why I don't go too big or too deep into Ashton Doolin because George Odom was the guy last year. We're hyping Ashton Doolin as we should this year, but I've always kept it kept it real with everybody. Zaire Franklin is just as important as Ashton Doolin. He is so active, and now Matthew Adams, and now EJ Speed. I mean, coming into this into this year, would you believe that EJ Speed has more touchdowns than Marlon Mack? He has more. Well, I, I don't have the the numbers in front of me, so I don't want to, you know, jump ahead, but uh, or put a lie out there. But he's yeah, active. Yes, more than. Oh Jesus! Don't even say that. Godly, that's embarrassing. Uh, I wouldn't predicted that either. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have either. But one of the things that I really got to commend EJ for is falling on the ball. You know, we see that way too many times. Guys are trying to pick it up. It, it, they kick it or they can't pick it up and it goes out of bounds. The adrenaline that you get, like I've been in one of those and it's at a high school level. So it's probably at an even monstrous level in the NFL. When you see that ball on the ground and you go for it, like your adrenaline goes up. And it's almost like you lose your head. You forget about all the coaching that you've been given. But he didn't over-pursue the ball. He didn't run over the ball. He just ran to it and just calmly fell down on it. 
secure the well, touchdown. Partially because of the position of the ball at the time, yeah. of course. I mean, it like, wasn't bouncing high or anything. Pick it up and run it. It's because it's not in the end zone. You know, like if yeah. it's in the end zone, rule number one: you jump on the ball. And that was just a phenomenal spin on the ball, bouncing off of Matt Adams to land pretty much right in the end zone, but not go too far back to get touchback. Yeah, I mean, so. the linebackers just depth man we're seeing the depth and even getting away from special teams at linebacker ej speed had to fill in a little bit here and there for darius leonard and he played good zaire franklin came off the covid list he played well i mean zaire franklin is actually i'm really liking his development at linebacker he's still developing and he's i mean i was kind of worried when he went on the covid list because after darius and bobby he's our third linebacker who has the most snaps and after him, it's like, damn, are we really going to jump to Matthew and EJ Speed or possibly Jordan Glasgow? No. So got with Zaire Franklin. The defense is playing well. And the last thing we're going to say about the defense, the last good are the corners, man. I mean. I got to The job that James Rowe has done and remember guys if y'all have been listening to the show remember what i said about james Rowe. wherever he goes you see progress you see results he went to washington the year that they led the league in interceptions that one year went to appalachian state he led college football in interceptions now he's in indianapolis you had two guys who were big projects. One was on the verge of getting traded or he, he was between a rock and a hard place. Rocky Sin has become possibly our best outside corner. Isaiah Rogers, he was a guy that I highlighted coming into the season who I want to see develop. He should, I mean, maybe he should be starting right now. Maybe. Kenny Moore, he has taken his level, his play up a notch. And then Xavier Rhodes, it's kind of hard to say because he did start off bad, but he's been dealing with an ankle issue the whole time. Dealing with an ankle issue at corner, it is hard to overcome. It is hard. I don't care if you're Jalen Ramsey or even Deion Sanders. You have that injury. It's hard, man. It's hard. So the corners, Rocky Sin, Isaiah Rogers, and for those that caught the preview show last week, this is the highlighted I, the matchup I highlighted, the one that I love, because our guys outside on New England, when you go to their wide receivers, there's nobody that scares you. Nobody. No one's scared of Nelson Aguilar. No one's scared of Jacoby Myers. No one's scared of Kendrick Bourne. Although those are all solid pieces. Who remember Kendrick Bourne? He he helped San Francisco get to the Super Bowl. He was wide receiver three. And he played a good part in it. He had a good Super Bowl game. Jacoby Myers has been uh, has been good, even though Lucas didn't want to give him to me in our fantasy trade. But he's been good. And Nelson Aguilar, I mean, we all know about him. I mean, he's inconsistent. And, you know, I actually decided to start Hunter Henry only because I know we have a hard time against tight ends. And it worked out for me. He gave me 25 points. So it worked out for me. I'm happy. Uh but other than that, the corners, man, even in the secondary, I'll, I'll just highlight the secondary. Kari Willis had a good game. Andrew Sendejo probably had his best game as a Colt. He was 
flying everywhere. And this is one of the things when people criticize Anderson Dale, okay, he's never been the guy known for coverage. He wasn't that guy in Minnesota. That was Harrison Smith. They would go cover three. He'll play single safety. Anderson Dale would come down in the box. That was his role. That's how he played. Now, of course, when we see him in pass coverage, oh, man, you know, we need to find somebody else. But the energy, the veteran leadership that he brings, you you can't put anything past leadership and energy. And that's exactly what Andrew Sandejo brought on Saturday, flying, thumping guys, putting the kill Harry on his back. I mean, Lucas, the job that James Rowe has done, the emergence of Rocky Sin, another emergence of Kenny Moore and Isaiah Rogers, man. How big of a role have has this played into the Colts turning the season around? It has been absolutely monumental for this defense. I mean, we can talk about some other aspects of the defense that have been kind of lacking at times, but the corners have really, really stepped up. I mean, Rock Yassin is becoming Lock Yassin. He has been shutting down guys as the cornerback one. You got Isaiah Rogers, who when targeted, he ain't given up much. He did allow one big play by Nikhil Harry in a late shot down the field, which he should have had some safety help. I'm going to be honest. That one was more so on whoever the free safety was. They missed an assignment, and he was on a one-on-one. He tried, And it wasn't even bad coverage. He was tight on him. He wasn't getting any DPIs, but he, and he nearly swatted the ball down. It's just Nikhil Harry just made a great catch. Sometimes it happens. You know, sometimes you do everything right that you can, and you still aren't good enough in coverage. It can happen. But outside of that, He's been very, very good this season. Xavier Rhodes, of course, up and down. But like you said, ankle injuries, four corners, can be absolutely very tricky to navigate. I mean, like you said, it's tough. Got a lot of planting, got a lot of change of direction, got a lot of sudden moves with that ankle injury. That can be very demanding. So, yeah, he's had some up and down moments, but he was pretty solid this night. And, of course, Kenny Moore the second. He has been phenomenal for years. And it's high time a lot of the NFL starts paying attention to it. I mean, he's been underrated for this whole entire time. He's been the best slot corner in the NFL for four years now. And because of him being a slot, he ain't getting the respect that he deserves, despite slot corners being more valuable now than they have ever been. He's been using... What else do we need to see from him? Run sport? He brings the heat there. Do we need him to, I don't know, maybe blitz, rush the passer? He can do that. Do we need him to be absolutely shut down in coverage, inside and outside as well? He can do that. Do we want him to be a leader of men on and off the field? He is that phenomenal person. Walter Payton, Man of the Year nominee for the Colts. Phenomenal guy. One of my favorite Colts. Hell, he's even my background on my phone. He's that good, and I love him so much. Can't say enough good things about Kenny Moore. And if I did, we'd have a 24-hour broadcast right here. But anyways, 
it's been a great, great unit for the Colts. James Rowe has taken it to another level for the uh, Colts players. Great development this year. Very young unit outside of TJ Carey and Xavier Rhodes. So we got a trio that could be very, very interesting going forward long-term for the Colts. And for Definitely. this game, it was an easy matchup win for the most part of this game. I mean, there was a few plays here or there, but they were shutting them down. The way that the Patriots were moving the ball more consistently was through that middle zone. Like you said, Sandejo, he had some blown assignments in the middle of the field. And even after he left, the depth uh, safeties as well were kind of blown a few yeah. uh, runs there. Sometimes yeah. they're just barely getting out of the linebackers as well. And occasionally the wide receivers were barely getting beat. But there were some really, really standout plays throughout that, honestly, the corners were top-notch yet again. And they're going to be very key against some really, really talented wide receivers in the AFC come playoff time. And, hey, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in that New England wide receiver room who is going to man up and say, give me the ball. They're just not those guys. And that's why I highlighted that matchup because our guys who are growing against their guys who, although I believe it's uh, Jacoby Myers who is performing as their best receiver, who's, you know, getting points in fantasy and all that stuff. Still, I like our guys because we're battle tested. Another thing that I highlighted, we are battle tested. We went and faced Seattle when they were good. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Gerald Everett. We played the Rams, Cooper Cup, um, Robert Woods. You, you faced those guys. You faced Lamar Jackson. You faced the Titans when they had Julio and A.J. Brown the second time. You faced the, the 49ers, Debo Samuel. You faced um, Tampa Bay, faced Buffalo. You have gone against some tough teams. And what I've liked and what I talked about in the preview, this team is learning. They're battle-tested. And I thought they were more battle-tested than New England. And I just like that matchup. So, guys, that is the good. We probably went a little bit long in the good, but, hey, it is the good nonetheless. Getting into the bad, we got to highlight this officiating, man. Uh, the, The calls were in favor of the Patriots, even though they were making some mistakes. I mean, there was like two blocks in the back. One of them was on Darius Leonard. I know that for sure, but I think they had called an illegal formation on that play, and they didn't even catch the block in the back on, on uh, Darius. I believe it was a uh, it was a running back screen, and Darius Leonard was coming downhill, and the offensive lineman just came behind him and just blocked him in the back. There was two holdings that were missed, a DPI that was missed, and I'm just sitting there wondering, like, dude, but I really got a highlight. W- what was Michael Pittman ejected for what was he ejected for i mean bill belichick came out today and said he doesn't understand how ty hilton wasn't suspended because he made contact with the referee which is true i agree with him he is 100 right and i believe there was a um there was some idiot named dakota who covers the patriots who put the video out there snitch ass uh who just wanted to show ty hilton threw this ref to the ground like he pushed him to the ground and in those moments, man, you know, you're probably not looking who it is. You don't you don't see that it's a ref. You're, you're in the middle of a pile. You're trying to get your teammate off the ground who is at the bottom of a pile. We don't know what's all being said. We don't know what's all being done. And he's trying to save his teammate. 
He's standing up for his teammate. A ref comes in, shoving, shoving, shoving. And T.Y. just mans up. like, hey, man, get off me. Didn't even know who it was. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what will come of that. I don't know. I really hope the NFL doesn't come out and say, you know what? You push the referee to the ground. You're suspended. Uh, can't travel to Arizona. Can't play on Christmas. Whatever the case may be. I think it's more likely going to be a fine, if anything. A and- big fine, probably. Uh, I, I just hope the league doesn't inject themselves and try to be like, oh, you know what, T.Y., you're suspended. But getting back to Michael Pittman, he's we, we know, we already know he, how physical he is. I mean, last year he, he freaking took Yannick Ngakwe off the line and just blocked him right out of my TV screen and then came back and boomed Harrison Smith on a Jonathan Taylor run. Like, that is how physical this guy is, and he embraces it. He was blocking on a run play. He was blocking Kyle Duggar. Kyle Duggar started getting aggressive, knocking Pittman's helmet off, but he kept trying to put it on, and he, he they were shoving and everything. Kyle Van Noy comes behind Michael Pittman and shoves him to the ground. Kyle Duggar rips his helmet off, and somehow... Michael Pittman is is ejected. (laughs) Like, I don't understand how you eject Michael Pittman. And what was the worst that he did? Frank said that at first he was upset with Pitt. In my opinion, why were you upset with Pitt? I mean, I understand in the heat of the game, you're not worried about the details. You just want to get everybody back to the sideline, figure out what's going on. And after the game, you'll go back and look. He said at first he was upset with Pitt. Afterwards, he didn't think it was fair. I don't. What did he do? What did he do? One shove. Here is all that he did. Like you said, Duggar got under his helmet, moved it around. It was kind of like off center. He could barely see. All right. He's trying to adjust it, and Duggar's still kind of up in his face. So he kind of shoves him away to kind of give him some space because, hey, he can't even see. If this guy tries to try something, He's not going to see it. So he's like, hey, give me some distance, man. And who knows what that was being saying. Probably some trash talk going on. We don't have uh, audio for that right now, of course. Maybe, maybe but Hard Knocks gives us a sneak peek. Maybe, maybe. But anyways, from what we could see, then all of a sudden, like you said, Van Noy, some Patriots fans were like, Michael Pittman Jr. lunged at him. No, Van Noy came from the back and shoved him right at Duggar, and then Duggar starts ripping his head, his helmet off, kind of going some jabs underneath, and then laying on top of him, and they're kind of like dogpiling him. Like, from what I've seen, Michael Pittman was not the agitator. He was trying to react, maybe defend himself a little bit too much, I guess. From in, in my opinion, and that's that's typical, that's typical that's shoving. That's typical shoving after a run play. You know, you're trying to establish dominance. That is a DB. He is a wide receiver. There is a rivalry there within itself. That's not a defense alignment. No, you are going one-on-one Kyle Duggar, Michael Pittman in a later uh, rep, in a later play. Yeah, so I've been in those moments. Even though it's in high school, I've been in those heated moments. And, I mean, I I commend for T.Y. Hilton getting in the middle of it. I, I commend Michael. But I feel like, and this is probably a credit to Frank Reich's coaching, but if I was T.Y. Hilton or I was Zach Pascal, man, I'm getting in there. I'm not standing saying, guys, come on. Now nah, I'm getting I'm getting in there and I'm standing up for my guy because I saw what y'all did. 
and I'm coming in there and I'm probably ripping one of y'all's helmets off because that's my brother. That's my guy who we literally fight to feed our families together for each other. And to, in my opinion, man, you know, T.Y. Zach, y'all a lot nicer than Michael because I would have had hands thrown. Hands would have been thrown. Helmets would have been ripped been the off. the worst incident that I saw. Like, yeah. sure, Van Noy should have gotten – uh, he he should have gotten thrown out of the game as well because he was coming in out of nowhere. And they didn't even up. throw a flag on him anyway. Yeah. So I don't even think New York I got think, involved I in this. Did they? going to get fined. Maybe I don't, I doubt he gets suspended. Of course, and same with Duggar. I don't think any suspensions are going to be coming from this game at all. It's not like you're socking a coach on the sideline or anything. But there's going to be some fines, of course. And then the worst one though was Matthew Judon. Uh, trying to prevent Carson Wentz's uh, reproductivity. So like he was trying to stomp on him. So when it and came it, to that, not so friendly area. I'm not so, I, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, obviously, I know what he's talking about, but obviously it's something that the cameras didn't catch. Um, from what From what I saw, Judon had Carson on the ground, and it looked like he shoved his forearm into his throat. Yeah. That's what I saw. So there's clearly something that happened that the cameras didn't show. Maybe, again, there was an extra set of cameras that we get to watch every Wednesday night. Maybe Hard Knocks caught something. Maybe NFL's watching that, and they give him a fine. I don't know. But the fact that Carson Wentz went out there in the middle of a field goal attempt nonetheless, and well, not in the middle, but after – um, what was it? I think it was maybe missed, or there was a timeout or something, a flag. Um, can't even he remember. Was fired up. Yeah, he was fired up. DeForest Buckner got in the middle of it and everything. And see, that's what I'm talking about. That that right there, Frank Reich does a great job coaching these guys. Hey, man, let's not be uh protagonists. Let's not instigate. Let's just be grown men and walk away. See, DeForest Buckner, Buckner just has two arms. In between them, man, if I was DeForest Buckner, Carson, get back, man. I'm taking my helmet off, getting in Judon's fans. What's up, bro? You got anything to say to him? You say something to me. Let's go. What's up? <laughs> See, these dudes are a lot nicer than Michael, man. That I mean, they. it's a credit to Frank Reich's coaching. It, it's a credit to Frank Reich's message and coaching. And plus, you got They're not trying to start you anything. Gotta, if you anything gotta happens, think, um, yeah. it'll hurt long to try. So, you got to think that this was also something that was a topic of discussion in practice. You got to think it's a rivalry. It's prime time. You were, we're hyped up. They're hyped up. Let's just make sure we stick to our P's and Q's. There you go. The rivalry's back on the t-shirt. So, yeah. and another thing, this is my last thing about the officiating when it came to Duggar and Pittman, hell, I wouldn't have even ejected anybody. Even if Kyle Duggar did rip a helmet off. Okay. But if I was the head referee, I'm saying, okay, you grab Kyle, you grab Mike, bring them and say, hey, man, this is a huge game. Y'all are important to your team. We're going to throw a flag on sportsmanlike conduct on both of you. We're not going to eject you because this is a rivalry game. We understand, but we can't have it again. So if y'all do it again, y'all are out. That's what I would have done, honestly. I think the NFL, they're doing like that zero-sum policy, like no tolerance whatsoever. Like, I get what you're saying, of course, but at the same time, I do understand what they meant by like ejecting both of them, even though I think Michael Pittman should not have been ejected at all. But I get why there had to be an ejection because 
you had to try and de-escalate. You had to try and get these factors out. Now, because last thing you want is to do very minimal, and then these guys go at it again, and then it comes into something even bigger. Like, it's a fine line, of course, and, like, you have to know where, like, certain lines are crossed, of course. And if anything, I would have thrown out maybe Duggar and maybe Van Noy, not Pittman. Maybe I'm biased, maybe I'm not, but Pittman was clearly not the agitator in that situation at all. Yeah. But even still, like, you don't want another a version of, like, a malice at the palace, which I know, different league, different sport. Different event, honestly. Yeah. No fans are getting involved, but you don't want like the team. Like you don't want a um you don't want a Patriot Seahawks at the end of the Super Bowl fight. That's what you don't want. Exactly. So I I completely agree uh, agree with you there. Again, Frank Reich's coaching, his installment of discipline, composure was clearly on display for this whole team. I'm pretty sure Quentin Nelson wanted to rock Kyle Duggar and throw him through the (laughs) freaking ground of Lucas Oil Stadium. But hey man, we got a game to win. I got some money to earn. And we got a championship sh- championship to chase, so I don't need to be in the middle of all that. You know, fighting Kyle Duggar ain't gonna pay my bills. So I'm a fo- I'm a football player, not a UFC fighter. So getting into last thing of the bad, it's something that uh, I've been a little bit sketchy on all year. Something that I really hoped would have stepped up on Friday or on Saturday, but it didn't. Uh, it's the pass rush. And again, I have been vocal when it comes to Dio, when it comes to Quiddy. They're rookies. I'm not going to put the weight of the world on their shoulders. I'm not going to do that. Uh, Grover, DeForest, uh, Kamoko, Alkadine, you know, the guys that have been here, we're just not getting it. Alkadine fights every play. He's going to give you effort, but effort does not outweigh talent. Okay. There are those great quotes out there. I'll take a guy who gives effort and becomes talented rather than a guy who is talented and doesn't give any effort. Those are great quotes, amazing quotes that are true. But on the football field, in the NFL, in high school, okay, but in the NFL, talent outweighs the effort. Effort comes in when the play is prolonged, when there's great coverage, when there is great scheming by the defense and the quarterback's just scrambling around. That's a high motor. But I'm just not seeing it. Of course, DeForest Buckner got free, and Mac Jones really could have threw the ball away, but he just threw himself to the ground, and DeForest secured the sack. So, hey, he there's a another business decision not to try and get strip sacked or right. Absolutely, hey, I mean, it, by a monster of a man. Hey, man, smart decision. I liked it. I liked the decision. Uh, still got a sack. Still put them in third and long and punted. So, I mean, he did make a smart play. But when it comes to the pass rush, man. Even watching Kamoko Toure when we were in the fourth quarter and the Patriots were gaining momentum. And this is still something I'm still getting onto Brian Baker and Matt Eberflus about. There is no development. I'm not seeing anything new. Even with Kamoko, I'm not seeing anything new. He relies on a speed rush, and after that, he is lost. Even, uh, I believe, I can't remember which play it was, but I remember watching him. He tried to beat the outside left tackle with the speed, and once the left left tackle got in front of him, damn, like he, he's just shell-shocked. He don't know what to do. He doesn't have a move in his bag. He doesn't have an arm swat. He doesn't have a club. Just nothing. al Qadim Muhammad, he is who he is. And I tweeted it out earlier today. 
for the sake of the Colts' Super Bowl window, for them to be legitimate, Chris Ballard needs, he desperately needs Quiddy Pay and Dio Odengbo to work out. He needs them to. Now, this is, of course, the rookie season. No one's going to go out and set the world on fire. Nick Bosa didn't do it. Chase Young didn't do it. They're not going to do that. Year two, year three, that's where we're going to see the development start to take off, hopefully. Um, But the pass rush, it's got to show up. As, As good as the secondary and the linebackers are playing right now, you just can't expect them to hold up for seven seconds, six seconds, and you're not getting any pressure. You can't do it. There were some good pressures at times, like, but not very consistent. And this is a very strong Patriots offensive line, especially in pass protection. But, of course, it wasn't consistent enough. Quiddy had some pressures. Uh, DeForest Buckner had some pressures. Taekwon was pretty much neutralized for – or, well, not Taekwondo, sorry, to, to Ray. Taekwondo, of course, is out for the right. year, sadly. <laughs> uh, Alkaline Muhammad, like you said, not doing much in this game. I mean, we got some interior pass rush for sure, but the edge, that's been the weakness of this Colts offense, right, or defense so far. I mean, Taekwondo was giving us some spark before injury. Kamo- or, uh, Quiddy has been doing very, very consistent pressures. Hasn't quite converted them always to sacks, but he's been making some uh, plays where it's impacting the passers. But ah, we need another guy besides Pay to generate that outside rush. And Dio has shown some flashes at times, but of course he's a rookie coming off an Achilles injury. He isn't all the way there yet. You'd hope at this point that a certain former Horned Frog would develop as the athletic freak that he is and show his upside. But of course he's been a healthy scratch or non-participant for a while. And he's got the athleticism, but still very raw. We need to see the development. Like you said, like there's a lot of very athletic guys on the Colts edge rush, but not a whole lot of guys who are fully established yet. It's a raw unit. We all knew this coming in, but Brian Baker's going to need to step up a little bit more on this development, getting some counter moves, getting some consistency out of these guys because it's a young group. They need to learn and they need to take that next step for the Colts to fully open that Super Bowl window. Yeah, I mean, I'll get, you know, into all the coaching and everything. I'll get into that when the season's over Uh, with Ben Banigou. I'll get into that when the season's over. Um, Just a pretty poor situation from him uh it's completely unfair what he's being put through uh brian baker every time he shows up on hard knocks i cringe every time uh because i mean what does he do i mean he doesn't do anything i mean he doesn't develop anybody he was at alabama nothing but five four stars didn't develop anybody there and i mean who is an alabama pass rusher who is good in the league right now nobody crickets so guys not many inside guys there's no he he was only the defensive ends coach at alabama they had a separate defensive tackle coach or defensive line coach so he was exclusively pass rushers and he didn't develop anybody 
So for those guys, Quentin Williams, Fladarian Mathis, or LeBron Ray, I mean, those guys, Christian Barmore, he had nothing to do with them. He didn't even touch them, coach them, or whatever uh, the case may be. So the pass rush has got to come alive. Whatever the case may be, I don't care how it's done. It needs to come alive. And for the future, Quiddy Pay and Dio have to work out. They just do. They do. Because at this point, you got to put money into your extensions. You got to put money into more wide receivers or basically more skill guys. Basically, however they come, you got to put money in that position. And this is going to be a pivotal offseason. I don't think this is just an offseason where you can sit on your hands like Chris Ballard has done and dictate, you know, what money you put out. He's not going to just like just throw money out because like it is a pivotal offseason. He's going to stick to his guns and he's got to do something. But this isn't an offseason podcast. One last thing before we get into the ugly. I do have to give Matt Eberflus credit. I, I, I'm still calling for his job, still want to change, but I got to give him his credit. The last three games, three, four games or so have been good. It seems like ever since, I want to put it on like since the Jets game, and it was that, you know, it was reported that, Frank Reich had a separate meeting of him and Matt Eberflus. I believe Chris Ballard was involved in that one uh, between the three of them. Ever since then, the results, stepping up in coaching, has clearly been obvious. And I just only wonder what was said in that meeting uh, and what, pu- what future parameters were probably set and mentioned in that meeting. So um the coverages were different with new england he he went away from some zone but when he went to zone that's when the patriots started getting a little bit hot uh again against the patriots i mean or not the Patriots, the buccaneers you're gonna get scored on but again in this game you allowed 17 points in the fourth quarter i don't care if we had a 20 to 0 lead you allowed 20, 17 points in the fourth quarter the money quarter that has to stop. I don't care if it is 50 to zero, it has to stop. I got to say that I will give Matt his credit. He has been performing. Uh, one last thing before we get into, you know, other talk about this team, the ugly Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz. It, it was ugly Saturday night uh, immediately on the first, first series. Michael Pittman, who Rashad and I went a little bit back and forth on. Well, I wouldn't really say back and forth, but, you know, he said he didn't like J.C. Jackson versus Michael Pittman. He didn't like the secondary versus Michael Pittman, our receivers. And I said, I would love to see that matchup. I don't know how he's going to perform yet, but I'd love to see it. In my opinion, Michael Pittman won that matchup. You know, if you look at the stats, you know, J.C. Jackson was targeted this. He allowed this. It'll say, no, he won. But when I look at Michael Pittman beating him at the line of scrimmage, gaining separation, being open when J.C. Jackson was in coverage, he won those matchups. His first target, he beat J.C. Jackson. He was man-to-man, up-close, press man, and he beat him at the line of scrimmage. Running down the sideline, Carson Wentz overthrows him. And if he catches it, cuts it back inside, that's potentially a touchdown missed now you're driving down the field you are michael Pittman beats him outside once again and instead of throwing the ball where it needed to be on Pittman's outside shoulder 
you threw it inside and gave J.C. Jackson a chance to intercept it, and Michael Pittman turned into a DB and batted the ball away. I mean, this stuff, the throws, the big throws that you need to make, he didn't make them in this game. Not, Not in this game. Even the interception was just so pathetic. I mean, it was triple coverage. What was he seeing? What was he trying to do? With Carson Wentz, he is that guy. He'll make a mistake, but when he makes a mistake, it is the absolute worst mistake you can make. When it rains, it pours with Carson Wentz. Now, I'm not going to be these media pundits out here that are talking about Carson Wentz or anything like that because we all know they only watch two games of, of the Colts a year, and they only pay attention to the turnovers. That's it. They're not truly educated on the Colts. If if Lucas went one-on-one with Stephen A. Smith about the Colts, Lucas would win that argument. If I went one-on-one with Ryan Clark about the Colts, I would win that argument. I just study this team more. He watches them probably one or two games a year and thinks he knows the team. Carson Wentz went blow for blow with Matthew Stafford, went blow for blow with Lamar Jackson, went blow for blow with Tom Brady, went blow for blow. I mean, hell, dare I say Josh Johnson? I mean, he, he's done great things, and I still think he is our future quarterback. But about this game, I needed to see it. When I say it, I meant a guy that is going to put the franchise on his back and deliver a game. Now, maybe that just wasn't the game plan because we saw it was a heavy run game. That probably just wasn't the game plan, just like with Tampa Bay. The run game was, was very little. You're going to go pass heavy. Now, in this game, you're going to go run heavy. So maybe that was just the game plan. And Frank Reich was thinking much more different than me, and that is correct because he gets paid millions, and I don't. So I credit him for that. But there is still that elephant in the room about Carson Wentz. You know he's got the talent. But we need to have that moment. He needs to have that moment of There needs to be a play, and I need to make it, and I need to win this game. And there hasn't been that moment. He's capable of it. I know he is. But that is a little bit worrisome for me when we get into the playoffs. And I still think we're going to the playoffs. But if we go to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game and Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Uh, Nick Bolton, you know, these linebackers are doing a great job on Jonathan Taylor. Do we have number one confidence in Carson Wentz? Can we honestly say that 100% confidence in Carson Wentz? Maybe, maybe it has more to do with the lack of weapons and help for Michael Pittman, but we still haven't had that moment. I absolutely agree. He hasn't quite gotten that absolute moment where you can say hey national media he just led us to a giant win against a really tough opponent in a key situation like he's had some really really great games that have just barely become losses he's had some close losses leading this team i mean baltimore comes to mind phenomenal game but of course we lost because of a few missed kicks a block kick, a mixed extra point. And of course we send it to overtime in a game 
that we could have won had it not gone to overtime. Don't forget, we were primed to get another touchdown, and Eric Fisher allowed a strip sack. Yep. He's had some protection issues. I mean, he has been one of the most hit quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the NFL. The vaunted Colts pass protection offensive line that we were so banking on heading into this year has not quite happened this year because of injuries and because of Eric Fisher not stepping up in his anchor. He has had a very poor anchor throughout his career, and it's got even worse post-Achilles. So there's been that. Blindside rushers are killing Carson Wentz. Weapons, not a whole lot outside of Michael Pittman Jr. and maybe at times when healthy T.Y. Hilton, who I really hope can step up and be that secondary weapon that he needs. And then he's got the run game. He's got the run game to help him out. Absolutely. No question about it. But at the same time, it's still not quite as much support as, let's say, a Tom Brady is getting, you know, or a Matt Stafford. He is right now playing at right. a top 15 kind of quarterback level. He's good. He's a good quarterback who you could say maybe can be a franchise quarterback. But he's not at that level where you can say he is elevating the team to such a height where you know you can win it all the way with him. He needs to be a little bit more carried than some of these other quarterbacks that we're seeing at the top of these best teams in the league to make it to the big game. Doesn't mean that he can't make it to the big game. It's just he'll need some more help. Now, unfortunately, I do have to disagree with you that he did make some plays. Now, they weren't in the passing game. He had a few, one really great scramble out and deep throw to Zach Pascal, which was phenomenal. But there was still some uh, very ugly passes, some slightly missed opportunities. Sometimes it was by him overthrowing guys. Other times it was Molly Cox dropping a touchdown. But there were some plays where he was being very, very clutch against the Patriots. They weren't passing. They were running. He had three different QB sneaks, which, of course, it's a short yardage play. Oftentimes, when you have a dominant back like Jonathan Taylor, you're going to give it to the back in these short yardage situations. But Frank Reich showed a lot of trust and said, hey, you just run it forward behind this strong uh, interior offensive line, and you get that first down. Might not be a whole lot in the stat sheet, but showed a lot of confidence in Carson Wentz. And he got the clean snap from uh, a backup center, got the, made sure the ball was secure, and got in for the uh, first down three separate times on QB sneaks. And he also got another first down running. He was under pressure by some really, really strong pass rushers from the Patriots. What does he do? He breaks outside going against his uh, – towards the left, which is very hard for a quarterback to do while keeping their eyes downfield. And like, hey, maybe he makes a cross-body throw. Maybe in the past we would have seen him try and force something. But, no, he takes off and runs, gets the first down, gets to the sideline, stops the clock, and avoids a big hit. Very, very clutch play, making something out of nothing there. Again, we do need to see that progression from the passing game. But he, is out, he has had a positive impact in the Colts, being able to open up the playbook with the RPOs, 
being able to have that mobility that a Philip Rivers did not have. And he's cut down on those stupid mistakes that we saw in 2020, especially when it make, like you said, when he does make them, they are mind numbingly bad. I'm not disagreeing on that, but it's at a far lower rate than what it used to be. He's definitely making some progress. He didn't, he didn't even have a whole lot of time to prepare this season. He had a handful of practices, then he gets injured, then he gets on the COVID list, and then it's week one up against the Seattle Seahawks. Then he gets an ankle injury. He's been playing hurt pretty much ever since fourth quarter of week two. He hasn't quite gotten his ankle fully 100%. So I'm giving him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Being a top 15 quarterback in his first year back with Frank Reich, I'll take it. But going forward next year, especially, he needs to take that next step. He needs to be a top 10 quarterback to prove that, hey, he is worthy of the long-term investment for the Colts. So I'll take what we got from uh, Carson Wentz so far. He does need to improve, no doubt about it. But I will take it over absolute, like, quarterback purgatory. We're out of that right now. Yep. And, yeah, I mean, I think for Carson, my thing, when it came to last night, I just had it in my head. This whole offseason, you could even say Frank Reich put his job on the line and went one-on-one, went back and forth with Chris Ballard about you. Maybe, well, I'm not even going to say that. I'm not going to say Chris Ballard maybe wasn't all in on Carson Wentz. He's not going to trade a first and a third for someone he's not in on. Let's just, I'll, I'll just say that. Chris Ballard is not that guy. He is going to trade for someone he's in on. They put their jobs on the line. Well, I wouldn't say on the line. Frank Reich did more so than Chris Ballard in for jeopardy, you, yeah. in jeopardy, for you, saying this is the guy who can take us over the top. This is the guy that we can count on. You have to show up now. You wanted a new start. You wanted a fresh start. You wanted a new offense. You wanted a franchise that believed in you. You didn't want a franchise that would lie to you, that would draft someone at your position. You don't you didn't want that. Now you have that. And guess what? They want a quarterback who is going to lead them to the top. You have to be that. That's just that's just how business side of the NFL is. We're giving it to you. Give it to us. And can he be that guy? I definitely think he can. But even through all of his career, it's still mind boggling to me. And I had to remind myself the other day. He only has one quarter, 15 minutes of playoff experience. He has 15 minutes of playoff, not even 15 minutes. He has like maybe six because that's how much time his offense had the ball for against Seattle in the wild card. Six minutes of playoff experience. That is crazy. And we still, we, we still need to remind ourselves of that. We still do. And, which brings me to my next question. This team is hot right now. Who wants to play them? Who do they want to face? How far can they go? And coming into this year, I said it. The two positions that are going to dictate this team is going to be quarterback, pass rusher. So far, quarterback has been good. Pass rush has been eh. If 
quarterback can turn good into great, I think I would like my team. I, I think I would like if Carson Wentz can take the play from good to great, I'll put this team in the Super Bowl because so much parity in the AFC. Every team has its weaknesses. There's no all-star defense. The offense is equal, in my opinion. I'll take this team. They're built on the road. They're built for inclement weather. They're built for that. So if Carson Wentz can step it up, I will take this team's chances and go into the Super Bowl. I will. The run game, the pass game, I'll take it. That's how much I still believe in Carson Wentz. I still believe in this team. Their talent, like I said earlier in the year, this team is too talented to be one and four. They are too talented to be one and four. Now they're eight and six. Eight and two in the last 10 games. And it's been an interesting run of games. Arizona next. They're pissed off. I think they're also lost, too. So can he go blow for blow with Kyler Murray? You might not even need to go blow for blow because the run defense is not even just against the Lions. They've been questionable. So Las Vegas, Derek Carr, they might be hell-bent on trying to get to the playoffs. They need to go all out. And then Jacksonville are going to try and end your season. Play spoiler. If you can get to the playoffs, a team that you want to face clearly, you know, right now the division is still in play. Uh, Tennessee lost. We won. We are two games back. Um, we are a game back, and then we lost that head-to-head, so we got to make up two games. We can beat Arizona, Las Vegas, Jacksonville, and it's very realistic this Thursday, and I've always said it's realistic. This Thursday against San Francisco, still no uh, Derrick Henry. Julio will miss this game. I mean, that hamstring is not going away, man. It is sad to see. A.J. Brown was literally just put on the COVID list, and I don't even know if he's designated to return from IR yet. So He did? did? Okay, so he was probably going to play this week. He could. He could have maybe. Yeah, I don't know if he's vaxxed. I I don't know anything uh, about that, but – We'll see how that turns out. If they go into that game against San Francisco, who is hot, and they lose, Indy wins on Saturday, we have a real discussion. Miami, who is on a six-game win streak right now, trying to get to the playoffs. I mean, they're positioned at 11. They're, they're the 11th seed right now, and they're trying to get there. Can they beat Tennessee? And if we, go, if we run the table, we are going to be the AFC South champions. We get a home playoff game. Who do you want to face? If there was one team that I wanted to face, first round, I would probably say, oh, man, Lucas, where are you going? Because I, I still I still don't know. I still don't know. I think part of me wants the Titans to win two of these last three, get the division, be the fourth seed, will be the fifth, and we'll have that rematch in the wild card. Well, the playoffs is a tricky, tricky son of a gun to predict right now in the AFC. I mean, there are so many teams that are still alive. Only three that have really been eliminated. Everyone else is currently in the running. So 
it can be tough to predict who is going to be there, who is not. But right now, the Colts are still going to be a wild card team at this rate. All the all the Titans really need to do is win two games to absolutely secure the division, and one game, barring the Colts sweeping, they could get the division. Which I think the Colts have a chance to sweep, but it's going to be tough. There's some, I mean. Cardinals are a damn good team, and the Raiders are playing very, very scrapped right now. I think we should have the edge over the Raiders. Cardinals, we'll see what kind of game it develops into. Jacksonville, we should be favored by a lot. But Jaguars have been known to play spoiler to the Colts in the past. They're oh, the yeah. team who the Colts have the least – or they have the Colts have the worst win percentage in the AFC South amongst the Jaguars of all the opponents. They're still above 500, but the rest of the teams were able to beat a lot more historically speaking. So Jaguars seem to always kind of have our kryptonite at times. But looking at the playoff picture, right now there are very few teams that I'd say with confidence that I don't want the Colts to be playing. You know, I mean, there's Kansas City who – They've been on fire on defense recently. Right. They put Chris Jones back in the interior, and he's been wrecking stuff. Their secondary has stepped up. Their their passing game, Mahomes can take off on any night and be the best quarterback in the league. He's been a bit inconsistent, but he is very, very dangerous. Make no mistake. I don't want to be facing them. And at this point, they're going to be the number one seed, so we won't face them in the wild card at this point. But I don't want to be facing them at that point. Beyond that, I think we can take the Titans, of course. The only way I can see the Titans really being an issue is if they do get that by somehow and they have more time to get healthy, maybe they can make something happen. I doubt they get that by, though. Patriots, we out-physicaled them this time. I don't know if we'll be able to do that next time when they have Damian Harris back, potentially. That makes it a little bit tougher of a game. And Bill Belichick is a master at making adjustments. I don't exactly like going up against the hoodie, but we at least know we can beat them. Buffalo Bills, we know we can beat them with our physical style of play. And especially if it's somehow in Buffalo, in a cold January blistery night, it's going to be a very, very similar game to what we saw previously with Jonathan Taylor's steamrolling that. I mean, looking at the entire playoff picture, you got the Bengals, who they have some inconsistency, of course. They have a dangerous quarterback when not pressured in Joe Burrow. They have some weapons who maybe could take advantage, could possibly give our cornerbacks a run for money at times. Great matchup right there, though. Uh, But, yeah, they have a well-balanced offense, and a defense that has some upside as well. I, I'd be a little bit – I wouldn't be so much nervous against them, but I'd say it'd be an interesting game. All right? The Baltimore Ravens, they beat us previously, but they've gotten even more injured. We got a chance against them. Lamar has definitely regressed, and he has been asked to do so much this year for them. By playoff time, I don't know how much gas he's going to have left. So I'd, I'd take the Colts over the Ravens at this point. I mean, yeah, then you go the Browns. They've been heck inconsistent. Ugh. 
oh, like who knows what's going to happen with them. Right. They just lost to the Raiders right now. So I don't know if they really even qualify in that playoff division. They, they got a chance, but I don't know. They, they, they're one of the few teams that would have a chance to outrun the Colts at least. So they'd be an interesting matchup. But ultimately, outside of the Chiefs and the AFC side, I'm not too scared about the AFC. We can at least have a close game with any of these game, any of these teams and possibly win against these teams. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at seeds like where the Colts are at number five and then go all the way down to number 13, five to 13, eight and six, eight and six, eight and six, eight and six, seven, six and one. Seven and seven, seven and seven, seven and seven, seven and seven. And the Colts have the tiebreaker because of their conference record, which is seven and three. That will get you over the hump. Now, I really like it because uh, L.A., they're five and four. Well, we, we should win that one. Buffalo, we got the head to head. Baltimore, that's the head to head. Uh, Pittsburgh, they're five and four in conference. <coughs> the Raiders, they're five and four in conference. Miami, we have that head to head, so it, it's getting crazy right now. That is how much parity there is in the AFC, and the the way the Colts have positioned themselves right now, I would really love to see them close it out. I would really love to see them close it out because if they can, man, as long as we don't play the Chiefs. In the first round, I'll take this team over anyone, even if it's the Patriots again, even if it's the Chargers, even if it's the Bengals. Those games we've seen between Chargers, Chiefs, Chargers, Bengals, Bengals, uh, Browns or something, those are division games. We know how crazy division games can be, and I'm talking about Chargers, Bengals, and Browns, not the Chiefs because that's not their division. But seeing those games, those get crazy because of division. So – Right now, the way this team is positioned, I'll take them, man. I'll take them. I need to see, I need to see something from Carson first. I I need to see something from him. He's been good this year. He has. All of his interceptions have just been total bad interceptions. There hasn't. I I don't think there's been one where a DB just made a great play. Well, other than the Antoine Winfield one. Other than that, yeah. When it rains, it pours. So running game, uh, get Naheem Hines involved, obviously. Michael Pittman, you got to start getting him. Well, not even getting him involved. We've been trying to. Carson Wentz just hasn't hit him. Um, and obviously Pittman's had a couple of uh, brain farts as well. So, guys, it is definitely going to be an interesting stretch, okay? It is definitely going to be interesting. We're going to go ahead and end it here. What a game it was on Saturday. Christmas Day again. When it comes to NBA Christmas or NFL Christmas, I'll take NFL Christmas. I will. And I think NFL will prevail in that one. I know my Dallas Mavericks are playing on Christmas night, but yeah, I, it's tank season. Okay. That's all I got to say. Uh, so other than that, guys, Christmas day, we will be, be back with you with the preview show. Uh, I know I'll be there. You know, who knows? We might have a return of a guest or a, host or hopefully Rashad can join us but we will be back recording Wednesday we'll be dropping Thursday a big preview of this another huge game with an upset Cardinals team now I don't know if 
Cliff Kingsbury is that guy to get his coach out of a slump. I highly doubt he is, but we'll see. All right. Shout out Lucas Robbins. Thank you for joining in, stepping in on this show, man. Where can we find you? Of course, guys, you can find me at on Twitter at Robbins Lucas spelled exactly how it sounds. Don't give me that extra B. I don't want it. Ah, there you go. <laughs> All <laughs> right. You can also find me on the site, thebluestable.com. We got some content that we're pushing out that is going to be very, very exciting to watch. It's going to be a phenomenal season to cover the Colts. And, hey, tune in to us. There you go. All right, guys. Well, here's to trying to get to nine and six. All right. So, guys, once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you later this week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.